This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is Scott Barry Kaufman, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Um, who am I? <laughs> um, that's a, one of my favorite Les Miserables songs. Hmm. Um, yeah, so my name is Scott Barry Kaufman, and I'm a cognitive scientist slash psychologist. I'm interested in how we create things, what motivates us to create things, and how can we develop creativity in education and business. And and Scott is also co-founder of uh, the Creativity Post, which I'm jealous of because their graphic design is better than the Leader Labs, and the author of the new book Ungifted, which I'm jealous about because the design work on the inside of it and the cartoons, etc., are way better than anything I would have thought to put in a book. So on several levels, we're jealous of <laughs> Scott Barry Coffin. So if you can't beat him, join him. We figured let's let's bring him on uh, the show. Let's talk about Ungifted. There's a lot of really cool insights, both for how we develop the next generation of organizational members and leaders, and also what we do with the ones that we have now. And it all stems from this idea of kind of redefining intelligence. And, and Scott, you jump in kind of at the very beginning of talk about intelligence, et cetera, um, and give sort of a, a brief history of intelligence, right? It's, it's, uh, it would take a long time to cover it all. But then in the end, you also make the case that there are elements of how we think about intelligence that we need redefined. Why, why do we need to redefine our ideas around what intelligence is? Yeah, so in a nutshell, I feel like there are lots of elements, uh, even in uh, broadened idea conceptualizations of intelligence, like theories of multiple intelligences, that I think we're still missing um, major pieces of the puzzle. And what I argue in the book is that we can't fully uh, uncapture intelligence or even begin to fathom what someone is capable of achieving intellectually unless particular conditions are met. And those conditions involve abilities and skills for sure, but they also involve engagements um, and um, as well as a consideration of a person's personal goals and dreams. And I argue without all these conditions being met, we can't even begin to understand what someone's capable of achieving. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And, you know, as I read the book, and the book is very um, – it's, it's very well-researched. It's very well-written, and it's very personal. You dig into um, your own story, and it's funny because I think a lot of people who have felt the urge to sort of be more than average uh, resonate with your story because they have similar ones. So you dig into your own story, but then as, a, as I'm reading it, one of the things that struck me about this concept we have of intelligence we thought it you know oh this is awesome we've got stanford brene or if it's in work we've got wonderlick we've got this thing we can use it to judge people and then all of a sudden all the really successful people score really low on this test and suddenly we're like okay well what do we do now you know i feel like in yeah. a sense the book sort of rise of the misfits rise of the misfits or revenge of the misfits because they don't fit into this model of intelligence and yet here they are uber successful yeah that was a really great way to put it I mean, there's so many cases of people who um, exceeded expectations and overcame odds. And the traditional way of thinking about those individuals is that they did all that stuff 
despite their disability. But what I try to argue in the book that it's not despite, it's, um, it's because of the disability, that there's um, aspects of their mind, the way they view the world, sometimes this outsider mentality that is very conducive to creativity and intelligence. And we're really like throwing the baby away with the bathwater if we're just um, if we're so limited in our conceptualization of what intelligence can look like. No, totally. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes from measurement, right? I, I love the the thought from Peter Drucker that not everything that can be measured matters and not everything that matters can be measured. Mm. But we, we love measurements. And I think this is where the intelligence uh, debate and the truthfully the problems with trying to define intelligence started was we tried to define it in a way – that we could define and or define it in a way that we could measure. And now we're obsessed with that measurement. But, you know, you kind of argue that a lot of that is really, really dangerous, both in school, but also later in the work life. So, um, I mean, why is it so dangerous and what do we do about this? I think a lot of it has to do with the conceptualization of what exactly we're doing. What is the purpose of these tests? What are these tests measuring? I think that if we, um, if we shift our, our conceptualization of what exactly is going on there, I think we can help a lot more kids. So the current way of thinking about these things is that what we're doing is we're judging. We're, we're measuring someone's um, intelligence relative to other people's intelligence, assuming you know, there's, there's an implicit assumption there that there is um, one standardized source of human variation – which the extent to which you deviate from that is the extent to which you're deviating from intelligence. That's an implicit assumption in lots of these measures. So, for instance, you get a high IQ score. The extent to which you um, are lower in, in that one score is the extent to which you're lower in intelligence. And I, I think that we can – there's no, there's no um, objective reason why we have to conceptualize things that way. Um, we, it's, been go, it's, it's just the way it has been for over 100 years in America. But there's no wh- reason why we have to do that, why we can't use these t- these uh, instruments um, as tools to help us understand people and their needs and requirements, but without assuming that there is only one metric or only one um, way people differ that is the intelligent way that people differ. That's what I want to challenge. Hmm. And you know, when I so when I read the book, it got you get very personal in the book, and it really resonated with me um, because I think, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of people who want to do more, want to be more, um, want to achieve, end up finding themselves sort of misfits in the early years. And you kind of there are countless articles about uh, comparing schools to prisons um, and and tests to sort of standard standardization, mechanization of humans, etc. And you feel like, okay, well, I'll just graduate and then I'll be done. But in a, in a way, the same kind of obsession with measurement and judging potential, et cetera, extends right into organizations. And we talk about things like top grading. We talk about things like high potentialists, et cetera. Um, I mean, on, on one level, where does it stop or how do we, how do we make it stop? <laughs> I mean, why, why? it's actually having an accurate understanding of what potential is. So when I say to you, David, potential, what do you, what do you think of? So I always, when I hear potential in organizational terms, I always hear the people who get to go to special trainings because they'll be my manager soon. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um, and so in an education context, people think of potential in terms of like what, um, what, what you're kind of born with, right? what kind of like special juice um, either you have or you don't have, right? Um, and that's not actually the way potential works. That's not the way a human development works. Uh, human development, 
the latest research in, in human development suggests that potential was much more of this moving target than a probabilistic um, function of engagement in something that um, is personally meaningful to you, something that you're driven by, something that um, uh, you can connect to your own personal life. And the more that you engage in something, the more that you um, have that will to practice it and um, uh, and learn and master, um, the more your potential actually changes. So potential is this moving target, but we don't really fully appreciate that. I think that um, a, a first step to you know, changing the culture um, in, in a business context and in an educational context is to really grasp that fundamental concept of, of potential. Um, think about it differently than the way it's traditionally been thought of. Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. You know, I um, have been ranting for a long time against the idea of any system that kind of is overly judgmental, comparative of people against each other. Now, obviously, if if the role of two employees is the exact same, on some level, you can kind of compare their performances. But with this idea that potential is a moving target, you know, sometimes we use their performances to judge their um, their potential altitude, as it were, or their potential future ability, right. um, et, et cetera. But so... I guess my thought, if potential is a moving target, what can we do, what can leaders do to help sort of build, after the realization, to help build a system that allows people to kind of find where they're engaged and where their potential is, et cetera, instead of this sort of rote system of your performance, uh, your past performance always predicts your future results? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, there's a distinction I like to make between um, harmonious. Uh, well, uh, other researchers have made this, and um, I like to popularize it. <laughs> and that's the distinction, to, you know, to be accurate. There, um, there's a distinction between harmonious passion and obsessive passion. That what I see an awful lot is that um, in, uh, with leaders is that um, or managers is, is that they they promote this culture of obsessive passion where they're um, the, the, they're all their employees are driven. Um, are, are comparing their performance to each other, and they're driven by this um, this desire to show the manager that they're bright or they're smart. Um, they almost lose sight of the process. They lose sight of exactly what they're um, attempting to do. And if there, there there are small shifts you can do to um, to shift to a more harmoniously passionate culture in it where your workers are only comparing their past selves to their future selves they're not comparing themselves to other employees and they're also um, engaging in things and, and the manager can carefully and more thoughtfully select which um, who is doing what in terms of um, a total bigger picture, if, if, it's a, if it's a big project, you know, a manager can really thoughtfully think through who would most personally engage with what aspects of this task and who is more likely at what stage of the process to be in flow, um, be in that flow process. And, this, um, and that may shift, you know, the, the, which person is right for which task shifts, and it's a dynamic thing. And I think if managers think of, um, that whole uh, idea of this constantly dynamic shifting process where different people may be appropriate, be appropriate for different contributing different aspects at different times, um, I think that it would be much more of a harmoniously passionate culture. Does that make sense? 
It, it did, and I love the concept of sort of a harmonious, um, motiv- harmonious motivation, harmonious passion, etc. I think it t- it's like it's like intrinsic motivation on steroids, right? Because it's lined in. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I agree. I agree. I think passion is intrinsic motivation on steroids. Yeah, passion itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let let me let me flip it a bit. Let's talk about, we talked about from the leader perspective, how you can structure the organization to help these people. What about if you're in that situation? You, know, you talk a lot about your own life um, being kind of labeled and stereotyped uh, around this idea and then moving past that and achieving some amazing things. What, what could I do if I'm that person that's stuck in an organization, doesn't know how to achieve? Where do, where do I get started? Wow. Well, thank you for saying I've achieved amazing things. I don't know about that. Um, but um, I, I could, you know, I can say this because I really don't have like, you know, magic bullets. Um, but I can say from my first first person perspective, I learned a lot by by failing. <laughs> I learned a lot by not being good at the traditional metrics. Like every step of the way, um, I I very poorly on these standardized tests, which, which were the gatekeepers to getting to the next level. And then I would have to come up with some creative strategy to go in through an alternate route or to take a different path, go through a back door. And I've become, and I've actually harnessed this skill of, of, of devising strategies to get where I want to go, whether or not it's emailing the right people or, or doing something and then saying and showing the person saying, look, I can do it. You know, even though I can't show it in this method, I could show it in that method. And I've learned a lot of these sort of techniques, which I think um, would be very valuable to lots of people who also don't find the traditional metrics um, easy to, to express um, who they are or express what they're capable of achieving. So I do, I do advocate for people to become their own self-advocates, um, people in a work setting or educational setting, to do a project or to do something and then show the people in charge and say, look, I can do it. You know, this is, you know, not to take for face value other people's expectations or to take at face value other people's, um, you know, take face value that the the standard way of showing your intellectual potential is the only way. Yeah, and you know, I, I love to that end. You have the dedication in the book. The book's dedicated to anyone who feels trapped by a label, and I think there's more of those people out there, ironically, than people who I think excel with those labels. So if you feel that way, not only is the book dedicated to you, but check it out, and it can uh, give you some strategies and give you Scott's story. But let me shift a little bit from the book um, and ask you a couple questions. What are you reading right now? Oh, what a great question. I'm actually staring at my bookshelf. <laughs> so what a great, you know, um, or else I would have been in trouble. Uh, no, um, I'm reading. So I'm, I'm staring at Focus by Heidi Grant Halverson and uh, Tori Higgins, um, which great book. I'm reading Mastery um, by uh, uh, Robert Greene. Have, have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. He's the 48 Laws of Power guy, isn't uh-huh, he? Exactly. Yeah. He wrote a terrific book called Mastery. Um, I'm reading Confessions of a Sociopath, um, which is really interesting. I'm reading Top Dog by Ashley Merriman and Poe Bronson. So there's there's a couple of books. Uh, I just got um, in the mail um, Daniel Tamet's new book on thinking in numbers. Haven't cracked it open yet, but it's all, that's on my bookshelf, and I, I hope to read that soon. So 
and that's and that's one I haven't checked out, so I'll have to at least scope out uh, cool. and check it on Amazon. It sounds sounds intriguing for sure. And and then you know the the book is out, and by no means is it launched and is it done, and has everyone you know adopted the new message, right? There's still a lot of work to be done with this ungifted book and the ideas in it. But what's next for you? What's on the horizon for Scott Barry Kaufman? Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm still sorting that out. I'm still trying to f- figure that out. I, you know, I was cont- I'm contemplating might might do a follow up book um, uh, as soon as I can, kind of distilling some of the major principles of that were not gifted, but targeted for teacher training and teachers um, who just want the the you know get to the the most important aspects that are most relevant to them because ungifted is there's a lot of fat in ungifted there's a lot of you know detailed science that that's not necessarily helpful for the uh, person in the trenches so i'm contemplating that idea well if you're going to do that please don't uh don't forget the managers. You know, teachers have to work inside the system too. But I think a lot of times the managers are given their annual sheet from cool. HR and check the boxes and don't know how to help their people escape from whatever metrics. Have. It might not be just intelligence, but it seems like there's always there's always a you know a series of boxes and you have to rate people, meet, succeeds, etc. Expectations. Yeah, you know in what, those David, boxes. You know what? That's actually um, you know off off the radio or whatever. We should keep up that conversation because I had actually been toying around with the idea of making it, of making it more broader. Um, to getting the best out of not only your students but also your workers. So actually, that's actually really interesting. So thanks for saying that. Well, in in the meantime, we'll be looking for that. And I, I want to encourage people to – you can check out Scott's work both on um, – I mean, honestly, just Google him. But you can check out his blog on Scientific American Mind. It's awesome. His work with the Creativity Post uh, is great. It's on Twitter, SB Kaufman. Where, where else can we get a hold of you if we want to find you? Oh, boy. Um did you say scottbarrykaufman.com by any chance? No, I didn't. That would be a pretty okay. obvious one. Oops. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, awesome. So check that out. And to our listeners, if you felt ever felt trapped by a label or if you need to help somebody get out of being trapped by a label, I encourage you to check out Ungifted, the truth about talent, practice, creativity, and the many different paths to greatness. Um, take whichever one you like if the, if the intelligence one doesn't suit you. Scott, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks, David. This was fun. 